Okay, uh, welcome to the podcast, uh, Guillaume Power. Thank you very much for your time, and I'm really, really looking forward to this episode. Um, I know we're going to be talking about some of the twists and turns in your life and losing a loved one, most importantly, your father. But let's talk about some positive stuff that you've achieved so far. You're the CEO and founder of TLC Lions. At 13 years of age, you started your own business, which is phenomenal, and I want to talk a bit more <laughs> about that. You work for Deutsche Bank and also Cooper. I believe that Deutsche Bank, you were based in Frankfurt for a while. Uh, you're actually a board member of an organisation called This Can Happen, which is the UK's largest mental health conference. You won an award. You was the winner at the NatWest Great British Entrepreneur Awards back in 2019. And listen, I mean, I've seen you in Forbes, Business Insider, The Independent, BBC, mm. Amazon have done a testimonial on your website. You've got Ben Francis, who is the CEO and founder of Gymshark, which is over a billion dollar company today. I mean, I mean, like as a 32, 33 year old? 30. 30, 30, okay. My maths is really wrong when I was when I was when I was Looking online. A bit older, yeah. But um, no, you look younger than that, mate. So uh, you must be doing something right, and I can clearly see you keep yourself in in in, try, in, in healthy try. nick. So anyway, yeah, talk talk to me about you know being being an entrepreneur. How did that sort of is that is that kind of nurtured, or is, mm. was you born with that gene? It's interesting and you're very kind. You know, there's a lot of hard work, as we all know, that goes behind all those things. I appreciate it, but no, a lot of that entrepreneurial stuff comes from my dad. My dad never, ever worked for anybody in his life. He worked for himself. And, you know, he always said to me from a young age, son, you kind of, you know, build your own dreams or help somebody else build theirs. And kind of growing up, he used to always just sit down with me and just give me little life lessons and be like, you know, son, you can do this, do that, do that. So I think from a young age, there was always this like entrepreneurial mindset. You know, he was in petrol stations in his 20s then he went into hotels then he went into property so the constant dialogue i suppose around the dinner table was business and so i I loved it and i I suppose i didn't even realize what was going on and dad and i traveled together a lot around the world and i would always see him it wasn't your traditional corporate job or anything he's always on Mm. but always present with me as well so Mm -hmm. there's a huge influence from that and then i'm not gonna lie like growing up with things like the apprentice i don't watch it anymore but you know little things like that you can't underestimate the power of the media in a positive sense that fueled some ambition and the final thing was a good teacher at school i think you know there's people on your journey who never forget who help you um and she spotted out you know she helped me at 13 14 with that little business and yeah so i do think you know nature nurture there's a part of me that is very, I know I'm very driven. I, I, you know, I won't be beaten in anything that I do. But there's a big influence on my dad that um, without him, I'm not sure how much I would have had that can-do attitude, go out there and just do it and and fix problems in society. Yeah. I think when you strip away a lot of entrepreneurs mm-hmm. and a lot of these corporate individuals, or not always corporate, but just people who are go-getters, when you strip it all, all the way back, I mean, look... There's other podcasters out there. Steve Bartlett, who's now a dragon, sold a company uh, for a lot of, lot of money, made a lot of money when he was in his early 20s. Rob Moore, a guy who is uh, got the uh, progressive property, one of the most successful property people that I know. He also runs a podcast. And what I've noticed about these individuals is what they say is the, at the core of it all is getting your message across, mm. which is being a good salesperson. And I already get the impression from you, you're a very good salesperson or someone that could communicate effectively mm. before you was in deutsche bank in frankfurt and my do i remember there was a bit of a sales element there as well beforehand <laughs> yeah there was and that well yeah my first job was uh, at the age of 16 was at phones for you which i'm sure many people will remember and i remember actually rocking up was i like 15 16 i rocked up i was like i need to get some experience you know a bit mm. of a part-time job went in on a saturday up in the northeast of england um, and i went in i was just dishing out my CVs and I said, look, have you got any jobs going? He was like, yeah, but everybody here is mostly over 18. I was like, what do you mean mostly? He said, well, we don't hire any 16, 17 year olds. I was like, but I can sell. And he's like, what do you mean? Like, you've got no experience. I was like, I guarantee I can sell. I had no experience. I was running that business on the side. So this guy turned around to me and he said, look, if you can sell a phone to the next person who walks in this door, I'll give you a job. Obviously I was like, shit. Like I'd never really done any sales. Thankfully, mate, this lovely elderly lady walks in. I sell her a phone that was like nine ninety nine. She buys it and she walks out and I get the job. 
And for about two years until I went off to uni, I worked there on a Saturday and I would, you know, it's not all about money at all, but I'd earn more on a Saturday than you could kind of full time because of my commission and my bonuses. And I bloody loved it. Mm. But I think sales is building up a rapport with anybody, you know, on a human level, whether it's that elderly lady, whether it's a student, just actually deeply caring, getting to know them. And I do give a shit about people. I really do. And as they say, you know, facts tell, stories sell. If you tell them a journey, they want to work with you. Definitely. Mm. And also what I've learned about sales, it builds up a resilience. Mm, like <laughs> I, I speak to family members sometimes, like my wife on my wife's side. And, yeah. um, you know, they're, they're nice, humble people. They're not, I, w- I wouldn't say they're, f- they're flying financially or in a corporate world, but yeah. they, they enjoy their life and they, they have a quite a slow pace uh, life in Devon. Um, and when I talk to them about business things or podcasts, etc., they're like, oh, don't you like get worried about getting rejection and I said no like it's all part part of the journey and I've yeah. learned I learned that mindset and that resilience through sales I've got to tell you without sales and also without boxing which is very yeah. similar to sales in my opinion because of the, the knockbacks you get I think um I don't think I would have started my podcast I don't think I would have gone into certain businesses because yeah. you're you're you kind of be afraid you're going to be afraid all the time sales gives you that you know when someone says no, find out why they're saying no and how you can step around exactly. it or yeah. how can you convert that no into a yes. Yeah. And I'm pretty sure that that mindset's helped you in all your careers. No, massively. I'm, I don't fear rejection at all. You know, if most people are going to say no to you, and as you say, it's an opportunity to learn and just keep on going. And I've been knocked back, as I'm sure we'll get into later, so many times that I've been at a point where there's only one way and it's up. So each time you just keep getting up and you get up stronger and you get up again and again and I just won't be beaten. And it's that mentality that I will not be beaten. Uh, but you're right, it does come from the sales of every time. But you challenge yourself, right? Somebody doesn't want to buy from you. Why? Was it me? What, what could I do differently? Or actually then why did that sale go through? I think is just as important. When do the yeah. yeses happen? <clears throat> Analyzing, I'm a bit you know, of an analysis guy, I'll look at why did they say yes? What worked well? How do I implement that and double down on it and learn from the no? So yeah, life is full of it, right? And mates of mine today will be like, because I just don't care, I'll just do it. If you've got an idea, you just got to run through it. Something we're launching next year, actually, that's going to be quite big. And it was just a little idea I had over breakfast one day. And most people would be like, nah, nah. And I've had, you know, on the journey, I was finalizing the sponsors for this. And some of them were like, no, no, no. But I was like, yes, yes, I'll keep on going. So now we've got some kick-ass sponsors. They are incredible and it's going to be huge. I just won't give up. Yeah. Yeah. Um, some some of the other things that I've written down here. I mean, you've proudly spoken at American Express, TikTok, mm-hmm. Uber, Amazon, Facebook, Rolls Royce, Mastercard, Morgan Stanley, and this is only a very very small amount. Um, now today, as a thirty year old, you know, having all these accolades, being in things like Forbes, etc., and speaking in front of Facebook, American Express, Morgan Stanley. I mean, you must feel very, very proud about what you've done, even though part of the journey where you are right now and the success you've had is actually come from an adverse situation. Mm. So like a bit of a bittersweet kind of scenario to be in. It is. I mean, and I know we'll get into that. One thing I know is you can't change your past. I cannot change what's happened yesterday. So I've got to accept it and move forward with it. You know, don't say move on from, move on with. And I think that's important. And so you just got to make every minute, every single day a little bit better than yesterday. It's all you can do. And so I don't, whilst there's loads of things that we do today that I am really happy about and proud of, yeah, I don't see them in a sad way. I see that every moment in my journey today has allowed me to do what I'm doing and it will continue to be that way if I'm fortunate to live for another 60, 70 years. And those companies are amazing, but behind those are humans, you know, whether that's American Express or TikTok, Just Eat, wherever it is. I just love the people that I get to meet you know, whether that's been in Croatia, Panama, Korea, Hong Kong, it's just phenomenal because behind all these nice, cool brands are human beings who are often hurting. Yeah. And that matters to me. Yeah, I hear that. And it definitely resonates with me. So Ranjit Singh Power wasn't just your dad. He Mm. was a bit of a business mentor to you. Mm. And I, I get the impression from talking to you now and beforehand and also doing a lot of research and watching certain things on- online he was actually a best friend mm. and in 2015 um whilst traveling for business in india he got murdered um the profile though of your dad before we speak about that actual event 
Um, living between Dubai, London, very, very much a businessman, very much a mm. go-getter, very much a, an entrepreneur. Tell me a bit more about the profile of your dad. Mm. I mean, so yeah, dad, very mentally, physically strong character who similarly would not take no for an answer and will never be beaten um, in his mindset. And yeah, just very, very headstrong, opinionated, um, would always have something to say, but also as he taught me, very wise, you know, we said the wise, wise owl sits in the tree and the wise, wise owl says nothing does he. So he taught me times when to use your mouth and times to shut up and listen. And I think listening is a powerful skill that silence is powerful. And there's things like that that he taught me along the way. And, you know, from the age of honestly about five, he always taught me this. If somebody says, how much money have you got? I haven't got any. <laughs> because it's not necessary for anybody to know your personal situation. You know, then when you have money, he always says, use it, don't abuse it. You know, things like that, that just stay with me on the journey. So at the age of, well, yeah, from a young age, all the way up to recent day until things changed, we traveled all over. I was very fortunate. My dad came from very difficult beginnings, very humble background, worked very hard, you know, council house when he was brought up and stuff. And there were, you know, five, seven of them in one house. And he was determined, you know, to get out of there. So when I came along, quite a nice life, but he was very determined to make sure I learn the lessons and he'd say you know if i'm going to take you to a five-star hotel for dinner he'd then take me to like gene's cafe around the corner and like you sit there you respect gene you know you you appreciate everything because life can change in an instant yeah that's mm. very very wise and, mm. and very um yeah i mean it just shows you he had his feet firmly on the ground mm. so your dad owned a, a spa in wolverhampton called mm. ramanda ramada it? ramada yeah. Uh, spa and then i i think from previous conversations you and i had he had hotels uh, property over in india and he had a, a few other things on the go take me back then mm. to when 2015 when your dad was murdered you got the phone call mm. um i know he went away you saw him for the last time walk me through that that when you spoke to him for mm. the last time and when you last saw him so what's interesting actually is if you go back to april 2015 a month before Dad was due to go to India on the same trip. Now, he always come and visit me in London and, you know, business gets in the way sometimes. And I was like, oh, Dad, come on, come to London. Don't go to India that time. Probably kicked off a little bit. And last minute he changed it. He cancelled his flight and he came to see me. I'm very, you know, convinced today that that saved a month of what was about to happen. Month passes by and I'd gone and spent a week with him actually up in Wolverhampton come back to London and he's the type that always the last time I saw my dad he puts me on the train in Wolverhampton so I'm coming back and he would get onto the bloody train with me I'd be like dad get off right and he'd get on and just until the doors are going to close that kind of guy and off I went to the office obviously a few days go on and as you mentioned dad calls me and he said hey son I've got to go to India tonight it's now the 7th of May 2015 I was like a bit last minute dad but all right whatever he's all over the show so he calls me from the airport that evening um, and off he flies a few days go and I didn't hear anything from him, you know, but he's a busy guy, time difference, travel time. Four or five days go by and I realise nobody's heard from him, his kind of nearest and dearest. And I'm like, this is not like dad. But I know he's very mentally strong, he's very switched on. I'm sure he's all right, right? I just hope that he'll get on that return flight back to the Midlands, back to Birmingham Airport. Day comes, airline calls me and I'd sent people in India to go to the airport to like tell me if my dad walks through that airport it was very difficult to deal with long story short dad doesn't get on the flight and at that point i run out and i declare dad missing internationally go to the police station i had no idea what i was doing i'm 23 years old me and my sister start doing this now at this point there's also a lot of without going into names today a lot of interesting characters hanging around let's say um, acting in very interesting ways that raises anybody's suspicions but dad's missing three weeks go on and i'm doing all i can on the media to try and find him to bring him home putting up rewards for money that i didn't even have then i get a phone call 30th of may and somebody had told me that they'd found somebody fleeing the border india to pakistan and he'd confessed to murdering my dad now he told them where he did it um who did it but we'll never know the why obviously People out there, maybe they're listening today, they know why they did it, but we'll never know. I find out dad's murdered. They found, a, well, they knew the body was in the river. So I send divers in and they pull out a body. 
Um, I didn't want to see that. I didn't think it was the right last vision of my dad to see. Some people in the family identified it and said, look at your dad. And at that point, I thought, you know, in this horrible mess, sounds crazy to say this, but after weeks, I was like, at least I've got some closure on my dad here, you know, and it's a big part of the murder investigation. So weeks go on and honestly, mate, it was like living hell. You can see this online. Nobody would take this body. Right. I had no idea what I was doing. Nobody would take the body. I had to get armed people with guns to protect this body because the murderers were after the body to get rid of the evidence because money was going around corruption. So I had to have somebody with a gun constantly outside this body. I then managed to get somebody to look after it and I got the body embalmed and I wanted it flown back to England to have a funeral. At this point, I said to the police, I was like, just give me a bit of time. Because I was focused on the murder investigation. You know, there's not much time for crying or emotions or grieving. It's like, who did this to my dad? And I've got to see them through to justice. Body comes to Heathrow. Please come to see me. And they just said, we've got to speak to you. They said the coroner's seen the body and it's not your dad. It's somebody else's body that's flown into the airport. Now at that point, the media are on top of it. The first question is not, you know, I didn't have time to think, oh my God, it's not my dad's body. It was who switched the body, you know, to this day, I'll never know. It meant I never really got closure on my dad, but more importantly, it remains a mystery. Where is my dad's body and was it ever switched? And only the people who killed him will really know the answers. Like uh, a question that never actually come to my mind, but just did as just talking right now is, if that wasn't your dad's body, whose body was it? I know. Who is it? I don't know. And it was, you know, what's interesting you say that the first thing I did with my sister was that to the police. You know, it's actually, there's some poor man's body in the UK right now. Can we make sure he gets a funeral and a send off? And so the police and the coroner's office made sure that he was buried appropriately and accordingly because you know, it's not the type of shit you deal with at 23 every day. I didn't know what I was doing, but we made sure that that body was sent off in the right way. Because there's a family probably attached to that person. Right. And they're like, where's this body gone? And they're abroad. This body's now back in, well, now in the UK. And it's just a mad kind of scenario. It is. But the sad reality of this is that river where they murdered my dad, they found so many bodies. So what was highlighted to me during the time of coronavirus, and there was... um, a lot of media around the world talking about how it's affecting different places. Yeah. And I remember them showing, you know, bodies in mm. the river in like Indian stuff. But yeah. at the same time, then people were saying, but that's kind of a bit of a culture because when people do die, rather than having a traditional ceremony over here where you bury or cremate, yeah, they yeah. actually wrap up the body maybe and, and float it down the river and it yeah. does, does, does its thing. Um, so yeah, I mean, to see a body in a river even though in the UK that would be absolutely wild and no one would ever expect to see that. And mm-hmm. you would assume it's either a suicide or murder. Mm-hmm. Um, in India, in actual fact, the culture is, is quite normal to see a body maybe in the river. Yeah, I think they do, depending on the religion, you know, like I know they some put it open, open air to vultures and things like that. And they take, you know, the birds take parts of the body. So you're right, there's different kind of traditions and the way that they do it. Um I'd love to be able to say that all those bodies that they found were all part of a lovely tradition. But I think for some of the, how do I put this in a nice way? Um, the conditions of the bodies would probably suggest otherwise um, of how they got thrown into that river. And and I know my dad was strangled. Well, this yeah. is the next question. So, yeah. uh, okay. Uh, it's clear to see he was murdered, but at mm. this point in time, you probably had a gut feeling that he was murdered because of the people reacting, the media, etc. Mm. But how did you know he was actually murdered? Yeah, so well, on that 30th of May, they found that guy fleeing the border from India to Pakistan, who I can only assume was shown a photo of my dad. And, and they said, do you know this guy? Could I ask, is yeah. it what the media refer to when uh, there was a taxi driver arrested? There was a taxi driver arrested in, 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 in India. Yeah. Um, and I'll get onto a few other things, but was that the guy who was wrapped up? You know, you couldn't see his face, but he was apparently the murderer. That's apparently who it was, who I was told by the police. They caught over there, it was a taxi driver, um, and they found him fleeing to Pakistan, and he confessed to murdering my dad. 
Okay. And is that who you believe still today did actually kill him? Yeah, so I believe, and I'm a firm believer, that there were numerous people involved. He is one of a few. And I believe there's those who physically did it on the ground in India, and there's those in the United Kingdom who conspired towards the murder. So there was someone on the ground in India who either strangled him or, or, or hit him with an object yeah. to cause him to pass out and then put him into the river and then he obviously would have died anyway because of the drowning, etc. Exactly. So what I know is that dad was picked up from the airport by two individuals that names I won't go into today. Um, we can only but assume, because dad was quite a, a physically strong guy, if anybody was going to just grab him, one person it would take maybe two at least to grab him down, that they knocked him out. <clears throat> excuse me and once he's knocked out yeah they they covered his head strangled him put him in the river um and then yeah i assume he was dead at that point but if not by then then yeah he fully drowned because one of the names um i know you can't comment but uh it's a guy here who apparently was the business partner and friend to your dad and there was actually an interpol issue uh, a, a, a warrant uh, issued to arrest this man in 2016 and he fled a guy called Baldiv Dahal I think his name is I mean do you know this guy I mean there's quite a few names in the media and I'm obviously very aware of names that I say in any which way I believe there's numerous people involved in dad's murder who conspired and were physically involved in it the media have put out there what their views are Interpol obviously issued who they think it was I have my own views, but, you know, I'm not going to comment one way or the other. And the reason I say that is because, what was it, 2015, another name involved in all of this? You know, at 23 years old, you know, you're going out there trying to find out who did this to your dad. I was getting letters of defamation, trying mm -hmm. to sue me for bad naming people. It's just remarkable, Steve, the lengths that people will go to <laughs> yeah. for money. Yeah. Um I'm going to get onto that part mm. and the motivation we all believe why your dad was murdered. Yeah. Um, but your story actually becomes a little bit more complicated as well because whilst all this was going on and after a few months, I think you being a winner, having that winner's mindset and someone who is resilient, mm. as we spoke about before, you said, I'm going to go back to Cooper and continue working. Mm. But within a short space of time, a friend, a colleague of yours end up committing or acting in in a way where they took their own life, committing committing suicide. I don't know whether I got it right here, but jumping off the building at Pricewaterhouse Cooper, was that in yeah. London or was that somewhere else? It was, it was. And it was my first day back. So this happened in May 2015. And by July 2015, um, I wanted to go back to work. Right? And my bosses at the time were fantastic. But on that first day back in the summer, of July 2015, it was in London Bridge, right on the river. A colleague who I joined the firm with, he jumped from the building and he died by suicide. And it was a huge wake-up call to me because as somebody who is, as you say, you know, resilient, I'll keep on going, it was a bit of a... Like, to look up at a building, I know that somebody who joined this firm with you as a graduate has just jumped from there. All sorts started going through my mind you know, of kind of, I started to understand why, you know, we know every 40 seconds somebody's dying by suicide, it's, we've got to do more. But the point is, I started to realize why people genuinely struggle when life gets so low and so bad. And I was now struggling financially, you know, thankfully, I'm okay today. But it's no thanks to anybody who didn't help me in the family. When life hits you down so low, it made me realize that your mind can go anywhere. Even the strongest and resilient of minds can think, what if? What would happen if I, you know, all of these things. And it made me realize that I'm not going to sit by Steve and watch another young person in particular die by suicide and more's got to be done. It's a bit like drinking, drinking a little bit too much. You act in a certain way and then the next day you wake up with a bit of regret and maybe embarrassment or you're thinking, why did I act like that? It's mm. because the, the alcohol influenced you and obviously people with drugs, mm -hmm. And then people that lose people, lose their jobs, lose their careers, yeah, yeah. lose family members, lose friends. It's almost like being in a state of being drunk or being on drugs because 
emotionally and the thoughts that are running through your, your mind and your body is crazy and you yeah. might in that split moment act in a really inconsistent way to who you are as an individual yes. and that's how people probably commit suicide because they feel like there's no answer there's no purpose to their life you're obviously no more about that than i do mm. but going back to it you know dealing with the loss of your father your mm. friends your best friends your business mentor um someone that you, your home and family loved and adored and respected looked up to then realizing that you know there, there's a murder there mm. there's trying to uncover that you're very very young and you've never gone through this process before but then trying to pick yourself up go back to work to kind of carry on with your life to a certain degree and then someone that you knew a friend committed suicide i mean there must have been a point where you thought to yourself that might be my answer did mm. you ever think about killing yourself i mean there were difficult moments for me but it's that balance of that there was also a rewind there's a lot of emotions going on at this point in 2015 you've got <clears throat> excuse me sadness because you lost your dad you've got anger because he's been murdered you know you're trying to grieve you're trying to find happiness in the moments that you did have and it was just such a web entangled of emotions that I had to just use the fire in my belly, really, that I have to get justice for my dad. Mm. And I, you have to also look after the living. You know, I had to look after my mom and my sister and they're still there for them today. That kind of kept me going. There was a difficult moment, you know, in 2016, the people behind the murder and members of the family, people close to my dad, then financially ruined me. And I lost my car, I lost my home, I lost everything. It's just material things, you know, you can get them all back. But the point was the link between financial well-being and mental well-being is just profound. And people will relate to that if they've been in debt, if they're struggling to pay their bills, the impact on their mental health, if they've got kids today and they can't afford you know, to pay for their bloody lunch or dinners, it's, it's, it's intense, it's heavy. And I experienced that in 2016. When that started to weigh upon me, all sorts was going through my mind. Now, thankfully, I had a great guy who was my boss at the time, Jason. And I remember speaking to him one day. We went to a pub in South Kensington and I said, what's going on, Jason? My mind's going a bit all over. And he said something that put things back into perspective for me. He said, look, Gian, I know you've lost your dad and there's just it's living hell right now what's going on. But one day you will have kids and grandchildren and you can tell these stories and keep your dad's memory alive. And it was almost that just clinging on to a little bit of hope, I think is just so critical. You know, things will get better. There is light at the end of the tunnel, even in those dark moments for anybody who's listening, things will get better. And even if I have to cling on to that thought when I'm 23, I still don't have kids now. But you know, if one day when I have children, I can talk about my old man. Mm. And I was just like, I will keep on going. Mm. And that kept yeah. me going. You know what? I've, I've had a bit of a weird, similar sort of conversation with my wife mm. on, on the train recently. And um, she's, I'm, I'm more easier talking about death, I think, than, than, mm. than she is. She, her family are just really, really hate talking about the conversation. Yeah. But reality is it's going to happen to all of us. No matter how rich, no matter how poor, no matter how young or yeah. old you are or what your background is, we're all going to come to that day where we are going to take a last breath. And I said to her, Percy, with me now, I will never die. Mm -hmm. And what I mean by that is, well, with the podcast, I've got assets that are going to live in 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 the metaverse or in the on the internet for, forever. And it's part of it's part of me actually like accepting like even if I'm not here physically, this this is going to live. And I'm hoping that these type of conversations yeah. are going to serve an individual in a hundred years from now who's not even born right now. Yeah. He's going to listen to a conversation and go, wow that's really helped my life and pushed me forward. And it's kind of like the message and the, the mm. career that you're embarking right now. I'm going to get onto that, but I just mm. want to conclude this last bit. Mm. So, you know, you feel like you know who the, the murderers are. And it's a bit of a weird one because really and truly, if I said someone's got murdered, that's clearly the, the, mm -hmm. the, the culprit or the people that conspired. They're part of this murder. Yeah. They're going to be banged up for life or they might even face the death sentence mm. or death penalty, depending on our, what, where you are around the world. Yeah. These people are still out there. They're still living and breathing. They're still mm -hmm. enjoying their life. They're still pursuing their own careers and probably their families. So is there a loophole to murdering someone? And do you have the answer? If you were to kill someone today, you could mm -hmm. get away with it. 
Yes, is the short answer, is that there is a way to get away with murder. And it's that that needs to be changed. And that is the reason why the murderers are still walking loose in this country and in India. And and that's the same reason why I speak to families all around the world today who are subject to the same loophole. And so what is that loophole? There's basically where I got to as a stage that the struggle to get justice because of two things. Now, the first thing was dad was killed in India, right? That means that a lot of the evidence is in India and we need a we needed a death certificate from India. Now, what I wanted to do was, of course, to extradite the individuals from the United Kingdom to India to face trial. They had to face trial in India. That's the only way it could go down. Now, in order to do that, you saw things that you shared. You can see things in the public domain of what we were doing. Then comes in an article from the European Court for Human Rights. And that says you cannot extradite, so send somebody to another country to face trial where they might face the death penalty. It's words to that effect. You know, it could be subject to inhumane conditions kind of words. So what that means is that any British or European national is protected for being sent to any country where the death penalty exists to face trial. So that means that tomorrow, Steve, I can take you to a country in the world or a region or a state in anywhere where capital punishment or death penalty exists. I can kill you and I can come back and I'll walk free. And I'm nicely protected by that article in the European court. That is what is allowing people to get away with murder. And I've met family members really sad. You know, I've met wives, I've met children, I've met parents who've been subject to this and they cannot get justice because of this. And it's a law that needs to be changed. And it's it's one that I'm determined to be behind and change. So do you think a part of the plot, part of the strategy in order to kill your father, there was, there was, the, there was, the, the, there was the, the question, which is, why did they kill them? And we'll get onto that secondly. Mm. But the second part is, once we do kill him, then we need to get away with this. Mm-hmm. We need to, oh, yeah. you know, keep our life. So you believe they knew that coming back here, there was that loophole and they would exploit that loophole and make sure that they, they are not, um, justice is not uh, given and, and they're going to be walking free. Absolutely. And the thing is, if somebody is, you know, there's obviously things spur in the moment that happen, you know, But there's also well-calculated, well-thought-through planned murders that go on in the world that can take years in the making that people do. And absolutely, you've got to know what would happen if I fly there, go here. And people with money especially can have the best lawyers, investigators, advisors who will advise them on these things. That is so effed up, but it goes on. And so... Yes, absolutely. And the same with assets that I know we'll talk about in a moment, kind of what happened and, you know, I lost everything. And people say, well, how did you lose all of your dad's stuff? Like you're the next of kin, you're his son. And I have to say to them, listen, if you're going to be involved in murdering someone, you've got years to plan the way you structure companies, the way you do shareholdings, the way you issue debt, whatever it is. And so in the event of them being dead, guess who's going to benefit from their estate first? It goes to the companies and those creditors from the estate. And so there was very smart ways that they did this to get away with murder, but go a step further and take things like my family home. They've got them today. That is absolutely wild. So, so, okay. The the question, Mm. the answer to the first question is why did they kill your dad? I don't know. And the why they kill my dad is a why that I will never know. I'd like to know. And if those, if anybody's listening who has murdered my dad ever want to sit down and look me in the eye and tell me why they murdered my dad, I'm open to it. Yeah. But that's the that's the, the main question, isn't it? We know where, we know when, we believe we know who, but why? And the most fascinating thing is that why in their mind, there's no point even communicating with these people who commit a crime like this because they justify their actions in their mind. Many of them, Mm. I believe that Mm. that was the right thing to do. I did this because I had my reasons. And they tell themselves this narrative every single day that they believe that they are innocent. Yeah. Only they know. I mean, a lot of us um, driving a car, for example, Mm. and you you speed. I mean, I I believe every single person who's got a driver license in the UK at some point has sped, Mm. even if it's by one mile per hour over, you've broken the law. But what we do, and I've done it plenty of times, 
oh, I sped up because of uh, I'm late for a meeting, mm. or I sped up because I know I feel a bit sick and I had to yeah, pull over, yeah. or I need to go to the bathroom, and you come up with a narrative. Now that yeah. is on a very very yeah. kind of minor spectrum, but then on that level, there has to be some real real motivation there, like and then vendetta against your dad because oh, yeah. he was so successful money so do we believe because he was such a su- successful man part of the murder was jealousy vendetta because of who he was and the influence he gave people mm. but then also to siphon off money and assets do you believe yeah, that's yeah, what's yeah. happened 100% and and i think that whether that's a <clears throat> that's another reason or a byproduct of definitely you know dad's life and soul of the party you know and it's <clears throat> it's a shame but people are jealous you know they're not your real friends you certainly don't <clears throat> excuse me expect them to murder you um but yeah they took all the assets and things like that is there a deeper why perhaps but only they will know do you um the assets the money i mean mm. I, I get the impression your dad was a multi-millionaire how much how much how many millions do you think they took off of him or you thing is my dad just to be open it's been a real journey and you know i saw him you know go up in the world i saw the impact of the financial crisis as well in 2008 in dubai it was real tough and i also saw his resilience and to build things back up i mean what they've actually taken in the end i can only hazard a guess at anywhere i don't know between five to twenty million you know um could be upwards of that could be around that you know there's eight cars in dubai these are small amounts all you know the family cars that we had all gone you know the and it doesn't matter. These are material things. I don't want people to ever think, oh, we're such a materialistic family. Couldn't be more away from that, you know, because I lost everything. But, you know, they went on to take, you know, our apartments in Spain and Dubai, my family home where I was born in Wolverhampton. Um, my apartment, dad was getting me in London. Uh, all my number plates. Dad just bought me a new number plate. It was sold 14 days when dad was missing. Wasn't even dead yet. You know, all of this is there. The... um. The, the the person one of the key people that you feel like murdered your dad and I believe he's probably still walking around in the UK right now. This is this is some of the findings that I've got on on, on the internet. Okay, I put put myself in your position, right? Yeah, I, I, I box. I wouldn't call myself a, a, a fighter, but I enjoy doing boxing. I yeah. keep myself relatively fit and I'm very very. I'm pretty calm, like yeah. I'm quite I'm quite cool headed. Takes a lot to get get me pissed off. Mm. But I've got to be honest, if my dad got murdered and I truly believe there was someone that I knew that done it, who was uh, being calculated on how he done it, like so well thought out and malicious and so bad blooded, so so poisonous this individual. If I saw him walking down the street, I would have no choice but literally attack him. And I probably would go far as saying that, that mm. I could probably see myself killing that mm. person. I know it's completely wrong, but mm. your emotions will probably get the better of you. Yeah. If you saw that individual today walking down the street, how would you respond? If I saw them, well, I think what would be interesting is how they would feel if they saw me. I think that's the bigger thing for them. I've got no issues with going over to them and looking in the eye. In fact, many of the individuals that names being named, I've made them sit when my dad was missing across the table and said, did you kill my dad? No, they've got their own narrative. Yeah. If I saw them, I'd do the same thing. I've had to learn, going back to your emotional thing, is that I've had to learn how to manage my emotions and to control them because there have been some tense situations. And I'll come back to your question about being across the road. In tense situations, when I've had to look across from a number of these in a legal situation, yeah and looking them in the eye when i know that they were behind my dad's murder i had to do things i'm grateful to people who helped me at the time i was 24 25 at this point i'd go into the meetings and i knew i had to let my emotions go through my feet yeah Mm. show nothing here be silent Mm. and just let any emotion that i feel just go back i'm not going to get all deep on people but let it go into the earth deep into the core get out of my body because the most powerful thing i've learned is if somebody cannot get a reaction out of me it is so powerful Mm. and i've sat with some of these individuals names close to my dad who i know i believe that have conspired around this murder Oh, honestly, they came in wearing things that I'd once bought them or items of my dad's deliberately to rile me up. Yeah. And 
I pity them. I really do. I think it is a very sad state of affairs to get to certain ages in life that are older than me. That you have to do these things, that you can justify them in your head, that you can live with yourself, that you have to go so deceitful for money. Um, shame on you. Mm. And I hope you can live with yourself because I sleep very well at night. On the emotional side of things, I can mm. clearly see that you're like level-headed, articulate, intelligent, and I admire you for being so strong, but let's be honest as well, you're human and you're mm. the son of your father. Mm. And that every so often, I mean, when I was looking into your story yeah. and overnight, you know, I'm pretty quite good at keeping my emotions t t together. Yeah. I think quite naturally from the boxing and stuff, because yeah, yeah. when you get hit in boxing, the boxing coach shows, don't show no pain, don't show no fear, don't mm. show that you're tired. You have to pretend yeah. that things are not hurting you in order to come forward. Um, now that's a blessing and a curse sometimes, but when I was sitting there like tired from work, etc., looking at your story, yeah. I could actually feel myself inside thinking, putting myself in your scenario thinking, that, that, I mean, it's a tr like a trauma. It's like really upsetting. There, there must have been times where you just sit there and like cry. Oh yeah, yeah. I'm a big crier. You know, I'm a big fan of crying as well. And you know, I cry regularly. I cry if I hear somebody else's stories. You've just said reading about about me. I, I really feel somebody. There's times that uh, I think different aspects it depends who you're talking to we're having a very real conversation if people today you know go see some other content which is a different type of conversation be quite deep you know if, mm. it depends on my mode my state i think one thing is true though is when do i i allow myself to feel what i'm feeling though i don't hide it away so on the 7th of september is my dad's birthday i do something every year quite big to mark it this year we've got a huge launch in City AM all across London for his birthday. Mm. And those days I'll just let myself be. I'll, I'll cry. I'll miss my old man. I'll be sad. I'll get down. You know, the date of the 8th of May when they murdered him, that's always a tough day because you start relaying things in your mind. I think there's nothing more powerful than, you know, we're a human being, not a human doing, as a good therapist taught me. If I just let myself be, cry if I want to cry, laugh if I want to laugh, like learning dad's memory if I want to, I won't hide how I'm feeling. And right now I'm fine as we're having a serious conversation about those who murdered my dad. There'll be other times where I might, you know, have a real cry and I'm mm. okay with that. Mm. I'll only ever be me. Yeah. So you embracing the moment. Mm. Like if you're feeling a certain way, go with it. If you're feeling another way, go with that. Last point on this. Okay. So I know you went to 10 Downing Street. You've gone to the media. You've gone to different governments, politicians, etc., to bring awareness to this specific scenario. Like going back to like Interpol. Like when I, I don't know much about Interpol, but I just yeah. know that they're, they're, they're an organization not to fuck with. Um, yeah. You know, wherever you are around the world, if someone says you're Interpol and you, you're like, my life's over. Like, you yeah, know, yeah, it's, yeah. it's done. But how is someone like Interpol and all of these things and like you going to Downing Street and doing yeah. podcasts and bringing awareness about similar sort of things? How the fuck is something not being yeah. done? I don't understand. Because quite often it's all a mess. And what I mean by that is if you go back to 2015, it's still very relevant today. I was in the Foreign and Commonwealth Office. It's an international case. I had MPs in the room. I had the British police. I had the Indian police on the line. I had Interpol. Uh, you name it, lawyers, and the, honestly, the communication was like, you got to speak to so-and-so, to speak to so-and-so, to speak to so I was like, are you joking? I was like, you're talking four weeks? Right? And, and I said, listen, probably hated me as a 23-year-old kind of coming in. I was like, I drew a whiteboard, like, this is how it's going to go. This is how you're going to communicate. It was just behind the scenes, it's quite a shambles. Mm. You know, it really, really is. And, uh, you know, the policing systems, many of them do a great job, you know, and got to give credit where credit's due. But some of the archaic systems and policies just mean that nothing gets done. And, you know, and I'm a vocal person, as you say, there are many families who aren't. And I'm still like trying to push down these doors. And it's very, very difficult. Um, so why is it an issue? I think it's because no one entity seems to want to take responsibility. You know, oh, this police force. No, it was that police force. You need to speak to Interpol. No, speak to the Foreign Office. No, speak to the Ministry of Justice. No, speak honestly and it's a wild goose chase mate like 
this is a very, very dumbed down version, but yeah. something that a lot of people can relate to. You got a problem with your bank, yeah. you call the bank <laughs> and you get diverted to this yes. department, that department. You could be on the bank for an hour or an yeah. hour and a half. That's it. And you're like, for fuck's sake, I just need this resolved. And yeah. you're getting passed around. And that is kind of a mi- minute issue. Yeah. But when you're talking about a murder yeah. of a family member from overseas, it's just one, it's like one yeah. complex fucking it's, scenario. Honestly, I'll give you a little example. So I had to email the foreign office about something personal recently on my dad's case. I emailed them. They came back so cold. Now I'm not asking for a, hey, Gian love and kisses hope you're okay none of that but it's just so cold of um gian this is the link that you need bam like no empathy no care no nothing again it's just the way that they communicate or take some action and at the end of the day what i've realized it does take the media to put the pressure on the police to actually see things change it's why the cases that we see in the media are the ones we see because they are it's the oftentimes the main reason the police would act and I learned that it was like you had to fire up the media and the journalists, risk the sensationalization that they might do in the headlines. Police would have to do something because the, the, the people got behind it and then they'd have to act and get you an answer. It's a sad state of affairs that that's the way it is. And there are families right now who'll be sat there, don't even know how to speak to a journalist, don't know how to approach the media and loved ones are getting murdered and the murderers are getting away with it. So uh, is, it, is it a bit of a risk to go to a foreign country where the death penalty is still legal and happening today with maybe an organization or a people that you don't really know so mm-hmm. well, maybe you do. I mean, is it now a bit of a, cause I, I travel quite a bit. Yeah. Obviously I don't think my wife's going to kill me, but, <laughs> never know. Uh, but yeah, you never know. Uh, but like, it's, it's a kind of serious question now. Yeah, you know, yeah. If you've gone through this and you would never in your wildest dreams think this is ever going to happen, like go into a foreign country where the death penalty is, is mm-hmm. rife, but knowing that people could do something and then come back to another country where they can't get extradited. I mean, is yeah. it is it a bit of a concern with that now? Huge concern. And what I say to people is if you've got a loved one or you yourself are heading off somewhere, check the, check the law. Is capital punishment okay the death penalty in place in the region that you're going if so maybe think twice about one if you want to go there especially if you're doing business there if there's people who might dislike you if you're feeling threatened think twice before you go can you go somewhere else where you're more protected because i know from experience somebody can kill them or kill you come back and they'll get away with it and there ain't much you can do what, what was your, I know I know it, was, it said in the biz, uh, in, in in the media it was business, but why was your dad actually in specifically in India at that time? Yeah, I don't know exactly because Dad travelled a lot. You know, it would be Dubai, India, Spain, England, so it was all over. So that was something that was kind of just got ahead over here for some business. I believe that it was around property. We had some properties in India that he was meeting to sort out some properties. Um, that's as much as I know. And again, because he was always on the road, it wouldn't be normal for me to like. What meeting are you having in Dubai tonight? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I understand that. So the case is still open today. Mm. So you're still um, you're still on this mission to 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 get the, the media the media's attention and there for the governments and the mm-hmm. authorities to to scale this 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 issue issue up and get closure on it. But beside of that, you've obviously got your business here, which is TLC Londons, and you so. I've, I've got <laughs> London's written underneath it and that's why I keep on saying it. <laughs> TLC Lions, because yeah. um, obviously you've spoken in London, etc. Yeah, yeah. um, the Lions, mm. tell me about like becoming a, a, a lion uh, on your platform yeah. and what the TLC, what does it all mean? What is this like mission yeah. and what is this brand? So yeah, so uh, back in 2015, I went back to work and a few things were happening. And one of them was, you know, I saw the suicide of my colleague and I thought I can't sit by and let somebody struggle. We've got to speak up about how we're feeling on the inside. Secondly, you know, my story was in the media and I found that so many managers of mine would start sharing their stories with me. Yeah. Honestly, at the end of the day, they're all humans. You can put a suit and tie on, but you're a human, right? And I just thought, God, everybody's got a story. Whether you are working in a bank, whether you are in a hairdresser's, wherever you are, you've got a story. And the more we can get people to share those stories, it actually creates a better culture. 
and it can change lives in the best case it can save lives so i was determined to do it so tlc lions was born lion is mine and my dad's middle name that's where it comes from and so our mission is to humanize the working world through storytelling so today we've got just over 60 um, of the world's most powerful storytellers around the globe they're spread from you know, from all across the States to Spain, to South Africa, to Japan and China. And we work with the world's largest organizations now to drive change, to get them to open up and really drive forward their culture to teach the right skills. And and the impact's just been profound. You know, I will never forget the stories. We've now helped, I think it's over a million now of employees. You know, sometimes I think I saw it on your website or somewhere yeah, it's, it's over two million. It is, it is. Yeah. I'm just playing down the numbers. I know yeah. I should play it up because it's been amazing. And it's thanks to the team as well. And it's it's hearing these stories of the employees say, do you know what? I've had people get up in an audience and come out as transgender. I've had people stand up and come out as gay. And we've had people drop in the message during COVID and say, I was going to take my life. But because of you lot, I'm going to stay here tomorrow. And it's those moments that I just think... You know, you talk about crying, that makes me more emotional, the impact that we can have today on people's lives. And I can't change my past, but I can help them. And um, it's just been amazing. Um, yeah, I love it. And the storytellers are incredible. Can, can, can you, I mean, I, I know you can't specifically tell me who these people are, but can you give me a, in a roundabout story, like yeah. one, one or two of them, which have been so powerful and yeah. a scenario that they went through and why they told it and what they've done about it since coming to your events and listening to you guys speak. Yeah. So one of them is Kevin Hines. Great guy. Kevin um, was born in the U S he now lives in Atlanta in Georgia. And at a young age, he was adopted and later diagnosed with bipolar disorder. But at the age of 19, it all became a bit too much for him. And one day he took a bus in San Francisco and he said on that bus journey towards the Golden Gate Bridge, if one person smiles at me today or asks me how I am, I won't do it. Nobody did. And he stood on the edge of the Golden Gate Bridge and he jumped and he attempted suicide. He fell straight into the water and, you know, it's one of the number one suicide spots in the world. Kevin didn't die. He's one of only 34 people alive today who lived through that jump, the only one who's fully mobile to talk. And he talks around being here tomorrow, around suicide prevention, around what's going on in the mind of somebody before they're about to do that. He talked about the impulse. How can we step in there? And he has a very powerful message of, and this might sound harsh, we can't change those who have died. We can't change it. And I know it's hard, but we can change the living. We can change all of us. So he talks about being here tomorrow and his work is phenomenal. Um, he's actually in London um, okay. soon. So I'd love to love you to meet him. Yeah. Um, definitely hook you up. Others include, and you've got Liz Cashin. Liz is one of our lions. She's in the Northwest of England. Now, um, she grew up there. She was at school, happy child. But at the age of 13, it was sports day. And they were doing the javelin at school and Liz had the javelin and the teacher had lined up the kids. Um, they said, you know, this is how far you have to throw the javelin. She's like a little kid. She throws the javelin and the javelin went off course and her best friend was stood and it hit her best friend and went through her head and Liz killed her best friend. Now, that's a very young girl at a very young age dealing with a hell of a lot. Liz today's recently turned 50 she's one of the most beautiful people who's dealt with shame who's dealt with guilt who's dealt with loss and she's taught me so much about talk about finding your calm and peace accidentally killing someone so they range all the way through to you know talk about race and ethnicity and gender and our lines who've transitioned and talk about transgender rights so it's all across the board and i've given you two very I say deep stories and I don't compare stories, but I know they're more traumatic than what we're talking about. Um, yeah. And we just encouraged and thousands of people to share their stories. You saw the launch on Emirates at the moment uh, where I'm on there to help people share their stories. So every day people are writing in their stories to me. I just love it. That It's like personal therapy. If I can help them own their past and see it, that their past is actually their greatest strength. I think it's phenomenal. And you literally now your brand goes into businesses and helps with the culture there, the mental health, well-being, et cetera. Is part of that as well, the physical side, the training, the nutrition, the recovery, 
because um so in my garden yeah i've uh over covid wasn't actually because of covid but it kind of sent a boot up my ass to, to yeah. get it done i built a, a gym it's nice, a really nice. really good gym like spent a lot of money on it yeah. and it's one of the best things i've ever done yeah but now i'm doing a second one outside right. it's on my storage you'll you'll see the yeah. development of it it's going to be a infrared sauna Right. And a ice bath, which is made by a company called I, uh, Brass Monkey. Okay. And Brass Monkey, they've just supplied Professor Green. So Pro- right. Professor yeah. Green does a lot of stuff. The Body Coach, mm-hmm. Joe Wicks, there's yeah. a few other kind of higher profile people. And it's not just because of, I do a lot of boxing, running, weights, etc. And I think from the physical aspect, it really does cleanse your body. Yeah. Uh, it's called a lymphatic flush, where you mm. go from really hot from, from the infrared sauna down to yeah. very cold temperatures. And you create that flush, brings out all the toxins, etc. But I also heard that the spirit, the the emotional, the uh, mental side of doing that really does help. Um, So I wanted to see if there's that crossover with what you're doing, that that kind of stuff. Yeah, it does. I mean, our work spans quite widely. Anything from kind of diversity and inclusion rights all the way through to mental health and well-being. And under well-being, there's, as you said, spiritual well-being, financial well-being, emotional well-being, you know, social well-being. There's so many parts of it. And so it does. It depends the kind of clients that we're supporting. But we'll support companies like Rolls-Royce, who you mentioned. It'll be their head office staff of how to look after yourself all the way through to, you know, the manufacturing staff who are... You know, we, we've supported some of Rolls-Royce and clients in submarines, you know, so we'll go to that depth of how do we support them, look after their mental health when you're offshore. You know, mm. I've interviewed people on vessels who go away for six weeks without their family. They've seen death happen. And so, yeah, absolutely all of it, physical health, mental health, it goes hand in hand. So the vision for mm. your brand right now, where do you see it five, 10 years time from now? Um, I know your dad's going back to the teachings mindset that he had mm. and he would have given you, probably would have said as a business person, set goals, be ambitious, hard work, be disciplined, etc. Mm. And obviously have your morals intact, which you clearly have. Mm. Where do you see yourself and also TLC Lions in the next few years? So... Uh, we're growing in our impact which is great and right. you know we're the thing is for us not to get all corporate on us right now we are focused on workplaces and what i've got to be ready for is what does the workplace need tomorrow what's it need in 2030 so at the end of the day tech and the world has changed dramatically but the mind hasn't changed much and actually we're always going to have to work right you go back 100 years 200 years so we need to be ready for what does 2030 look like you know in a world where tech is in there and digital and gen z and all of this stuff we're all about how do we equip the workplaces for tomorrow what does rolls royce need in 10 years Mm. so what it looks like for us is massively scaling our impact and our reach around the world and reaching even more people you know right now two million might sound a lot which that's great but the seven billion people on this earth and a key point of mine is how do we reach upwards towards that how do we look, for example, you know, we're very B2B at the moment. What about the B2C market? The trial on Emirates at the moment is me seeing actually, you know, as a personal thing, I'm like, would people actually listen to this stuff outside of the corporate world? And it's amazing. People do write and they share their stories. Um, a few exciting other things coming in the pipeline next year that I won't say too much about on my personal brand side, okay. uh, which I've had to get comfortable with because I've never been in the Gyan. It's not me, but you get used to it. And I'm like, if I can help the brand, I hope that's not a waffly answer. The main thing is looking at what workplaces need in the next 10 years, looking at the influence of technology on workplace learning and skills. And our goal is to be a global leader in workplace learning because those people at the end of the day our employees are humans. When they leave work, they go home, they influence society we live in. Mm. I just like to get them through the workplaces because I can get, you know, 100,000 people at a time and have the impact. Yeah. Listen, I really enjoyed this conversation with you, mate. And um, I would love to know a little bit more about your business and maybe even come along to yeah, a couple yeah. of things myself. Yeah. Um, got no doubt you're going to be a success. And I really do hope some sort of justice is brought for you, your family, about your, your father. It's such a crazy story. Very, very hard for me to wrap my head around sometimes. Mm-hmm. But you're clearly making the right noises. <laughs> On that note, Ben yeah. Francis, you know, he's, he's someone that I've been looking up to. I mean, yeah, how, yeah. you know, I see he's following you on Instagram. How, how have you reached to sort of people like him? So Ben, I've, well, God, where are we 20? I've known him 12 years. We went to uni together. Right. Obviously, yeah, so we all joined in 2010. Group of us. Ben didn't love uni, in and out, in and yeah, out, yeah. in and out. Whilst we, I was being a little geek and studying. He was obviously in the midst of building up a, the billion, <laughs> the billion pound business. 
so yeah we've all just kind of stayed friends ever since and that's good obviously yeah got married last year which is great to see and really happy for him and thing is i i admire ben obviously as a friend but also as a business figure because of his humility and being so down to earth and yeah it's just fascinating right you meet people at different Mm. stages on their journey talk about money for example and yeah, I just like the down-to-earth approach. It's who I am. It's who we are. It's people who don't change over 12 years, still caught to the same people. Yeah. We met at uni on day one. Yeah, so listening to some of his interviews, podcasts yeah. many years ago before all the, all the big money came in, and, and now he, he, he appears he hasn't really changed much. Yeah. And someone who's a friend of mine, a guy called Noel Mack, works yeah, out. Yeah, yeah. Um, basically, I'm, a, I'm an investor to a Birmingham-based brand called Dart Circle, which is a streetwear okay. company. Cool. And Noel is very good friends with the owner. Nice. And obviously, I've seen Noel transition into that brand and do really, really yeah. well as well, too. And uh, anyway, yeah, coming from humble beginnings, developing this massive brand, globally well-known, and then obviously becoming, you know, mm. one of the biggest sports brands in the world now. It's, yeah. it's great to see. So, yeah, thanks for sharing that. I know, good. Um, well, anyway, look, this is going to be out in a few weeks' time. I want to stay connected with you again. And uh, I really, really appreciate your time today. And I wish you the very, very best of luck with all aspects of your life, mate. Cheers, mate. Thank all right. God bless. Stay tuned for more uh, podcast interviews. If you're enjoying this, subscribe and be happy, never content. In actual fact, that's the question I always ask my guests, which yeah. is, I came up with a mantra back yeah. in when I was 25, 24 years of age, which goes like this, be happy, never content. Mm. If I were to ask Guillaume Power, what does be happy, never content mean to you? Live in the present moment. Be ambitious, but stay grounded and enjoy every bloody moment of your life. You don't know when it's going to go. So appreciate it right now. Top answer. Thank you very much, mate. Thank you.